Welcome to On The Move, the global mobility podcast brought to you by Vialto Partners. Vialto is your ally in mobility, tax and immigration solutions. We spark meaningful growth for your business and your people. At Vialto, we push the boundaries of global mobility, powering positive outcomes in business and beyond. Our teams partner closely with you, providing extensive expertise and seamless tech-enabled experiences so you can mobilize a dynamic global workforce and unlock potential. Welcome to another expedition to the world of the Posted Worker Directives. This is On The Move, I am Sherizade, your podcast host for a few episodes, and today we are talking about the hidden obligations behind what everyone knows. Yes, you have done a Posted Worker notification. Did you think your job was done? Well, unfortunately not. This podcast episode will be full of tips and things you need to know. So grab pen and paper or open notes on your device and let's discuss this topic today with my colleague Nadja. Nadja, very good to have you here. Would you mind introducing yourself to our public? No, of course not. And uh, thank you for having me, Sherizad. My name is Nadja Deby. I'm working at Fialta Partners in Belgium for over two decades about now. And having worked in global mobility, on immigration, labor law and social security matters all that time, PWD is having its links with all of them. And that is, I think, what we uh, are having to discuss today. Exactly. So we're going to discuss a bit more of the obligations. And obviously, I think that I've already introduced this episode mentioning, well, that posted worker obligations are more than a simple notification. And we have already talked in our previous episode with Iris a bit more in depth about the remuneration obligations. But there are a couple of other obligations that we would explore today. And I think we need to start by, well, briefly mentioning, like, what is really, Nadja, the intention behind the posted workers legislation? Yeah, as you said, Shere, as touched upon already, I think, in the other episodes, when dealing with PWD obligations, it is good to keep in mind that the main objective behind this whole legislation is basically having an equal playing field and avoiding social dumping. So... What the legislation does is it it seeks to balance the freedom of services while guaranteeing basic workers' rights as it is applicable in the country of employment, even when that employment is of a temporary nature on behalf of an employer that is not vested in that country. Okay, so it can be anything from a few days to like a lot of months, as we've mentioned before. And I think that for our listeners, it would be very useful if you could explain like what is actually social dumping, because for us working on posted workers, we keep mentioning social dumping. But what is it? Can you explain it? Yeah, what it relates to is really the practice of sending workers who have cheaper or more restricted pay or working and living conditions to another country to avoid paying salaries and giving the conditions as stated in the law of that country. For example, if you have a Bulgarian employee and who has a minimum wage that is a lot lower than uh, in France and you're sending that person to France instead of hiring someone locally in France or making sure that you have services that you can sell much cheaper in France because you pay them below the minimum wage in France. That is what we call social dumping because their salaries would be lower and you would be doing social dumping on the French labor market. 
And obviously, because in the European Union we have the freedom of movement and freedom of provision of services, this was a huge problem. So the European Commission decided to implement posted workers directives. And, well, their obligations do entail a posted worker notification, but it requires, obviously, ways of ensuring and controlling that what you say in the notification is actually true and that there is someone that can respond to that, right? So which two main obligations we're going to be discussing today, Nadja? Yeah, indeed. Uh, As you said, that is why there are strict document retention obligations uh, to make sure that you have documented what you pay, what you give to the employees and that they can actually have a check on that. And then there's also representation obligations for each posted worker to ensure that local inspectorates in the host country can check what has been done and what has been paid. Although in some countries there is no document uh, retention requirement, but there is always a representation obligation. Okay. So uh, except like, I think it's like two or three countries that have been a bit more relaxed on these obligations, we would have document retention obligations and we would have representation obligations, which basically is like having someone there that will represent what you've said in the posted work and notification. And we'll explore these two concepts. But again, these two things is just a way of monitoring posted workers legislation and what companies are doing. Let's start with the most cumbersome one, which is the document retention. So how does that work for document retention? Which which types of documents would we be talking about? Yeah, it would be basically working documents or documents that relate to uh, working conditions. And in general, it's employment agreements, information on foreign currency that is used, benefits that are awarded, pay slips, including proof of payment payment and timesheet. So really the recording of when a person starts working and ends his working day and how many days in a week he is working. And uh, well, it's very important, as we've mentioned before, to know that this is just a not closed list of documents that may be required. It depends on the country. So it's very, very important that if any company is sending posted workers to another country, they check with a specialist to confirm the exact list of documents. And not only that, but also like there are a lot of other things that apart from just knowing which documents there are, but like, for example, Nadja, like where should the document storage take place? Like, how does that work? Yeah. And that's again, member states have been implementing this differently. And already, if you look at where it must take place, it appears that some countries require that there's actual storage in the host country where others say it can or should be in the home or host or only in the home is sufficient. So you really need to check when you send someone abroad and and, and have a posted worker in a certain country, what that country requires on document storage. And I think that every listener that had listened to our other episodes on posted workers is already thinking like, well, these people just keep saying that we need to check all of the specifics for each country, but it is exactly the case. Whilst a lot of countries are accepting now digital storage for document retention, which you would think it's a normal thing to be doing in the 21st century, others do not. And I can give the example of Poland that is requiring documents not only to be available in the country, but also in hard copy, printed and available at the premises where the people are working, which can be very, very difficult if you have something like a shipyard or a construction place that does not have an office, because let's remember, you also have GDPR obligations. It's just not having them, right? And then I think it's also like language, right, Nadja? 
Yes, indeed. And you would say we are in the 21st century, but sometimes that seems not to be the case in all countries. But indeed, also for the language of the stored documents, usually it should be in the local language because they do not expect their local inspector to be able to understand any foreign language, which I understand. But there are countries that do accept English translations as well, which makes it a bit more easy. But still, local language requirements are there. And I would say that the good news, to say some good news, this is not all that bad. Normally, legalization or apostille or notarization of documents, it's not required. It can be if the document, for example, comes from a non-EU country or it's like they really need to check that it's a real one. But for intra-EU documents, this is normally not required. So at least we would be fine there. But you would have the documents in the appropriate way of storing and in the appropriate language, which is already a lot of work. And also, it's like, how long do we have to store this? Is it only the posting? Well, again, uh, differences between countries, but the general consensus is that it is for certain that they need to be available at least throughout the duration of the posting and some months to even a couple of years after the posting. And what we see in a lot of countries is that one or two years seems to be the most common denominator. But I believe Spain is even up to five years and Slovakia even 10 years. So, yeah, that's uh, quite a long time to still need to be able to provide documents and keep them stored. Yeah, I believe that part of the problem is that some countries already had all the legislation in terms of employment document retention. And obviously, because posted workers is also employment and employment obligation, they are requesting that these posted worker documents are kept for the same duration as the standard local employees. But yeah, it gets to uh, for a posting of a week to have the documents for 10 years. It seems like quite complicated. And and we are aware, right, that uh, 100% and I mean, we or like the authorities is everyone that is working with posted workers knows that 100% compliance is quite difficult in practical terms, but we are seeing audits, right? Like we do know that in audits, they check those documents. Yes, indeed. And what you see is that we've seen big audits in countries such as Belgium and Spain in which these documents are checked, but usually it's also together with an immigration and labor audits. And so not only related to posted workers, but indeed you see that they are checked and that they are being questioned on what is being paid and what is uh, what is there uh, available for the for the employees. Yeah. And and if we move to the other obligation that we've already mentioned, like representation obligation. So I, I know that the directive states that there are two types of representation, right? So there's one for communications with the authorities regarding the posting, like all of the information that you put in the notification. And another type of representation that's is specified in the directive that is for communications with social bodies such as unions and workers' organizations, all in the host country, right? And in some countries, these two types of representation are embodied in one person, and in others, they want two separate figures from home and host country. This seems quite complex, so can you give some light on how does this really work in practice? Well, again, there's differences between countries where there's some more lenient uh, as to whom the representation or the liaison person should be. But you have to look at whether it should be someone who is a local resident or not, or if it is someone who needs to speak the local language or not, because sometimes, uh, as I said before, it can, English can be sufficient, but in others you have to have someone who speaks the local language, because indeed what is their function? 
their function is really to be the first point of contact with the authorities in order to give them, to provide them information on the posted workers or to receive notifications. So the most practical way to go about it is that you make sure that it is someone who really has access to the documents and information easily and speaks the local language. In Belgium, for example, they will be the first point of contact for up to a year after the posting. So it's 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 good that you have a person there that you know that can address any questions. And this is important because we know that some countries are allowing the posted workers themselves, so the employee that you're sending on a posting, to be the representative, right? To be putting the notification as the person to contact. But companies should really consider if these people, if the travelers actually have access to this information, to the documents, or if they are the best place to respond to audit requests, because it may be that, yeah, they do not speak the language or that they're working in a completely different project and suddenly they get a request from the Belgian authorities for a posting they did 11 months ago. And this can have a very negative impact to the business, right? If, if they cannot provide those documents quickly enough. Yeah, that is indeed the case. And that is why it is important that you identify who would be a good representative uh, for your posted workers. And I guess that the other tip that we could give is like, well, you need to ensure that there is a joint audit protocol from all the branches, because as Nadja has mentioned, in some of the countries we're seeing audits that are not only posted workers, they're like immigration, labor, social security. And that means that if you don't have a joint audit protocol and you are not aware of what they're checking, which documents you need to submit on the other areas, you may forget that you also need to submit the posted workers once and then have an audit problem. Is that correct, Nadja? Yes, that is indeed correct. And I think that is that is really, really a good tip there that you give is to make sure that you have that joint audit protocol in place and that you really look behind what, uh, what it is behind uh, the notification and beyond the notification that you need to do for your posted workers. Well, it's been a pleasure, Nadia, speaking with you about this. We've reached the end of our conversation today. And in our next episode, we'll be uncovering simplification ideas to manage and comply with all of these obligations that we've been discussing for the past few weeks through data and automation. So Nadja and I would like to thank you for joining us today for On The Move, and we hope that the time was well spent for you. As always, Vialto is here to demystify the complexities that come from operating a global workforce. So why not subscribe and stay on top of our future episodes? If you have any questions about the Posted Workers Directives, please reach out to us or your usual Vialto contact. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to On The Move, the global mobility podcast brought to you by Vialto Partners. For more information, please visit us at www.vialto.com. Vialto Partners and Vialto refers to the subsidiaries of CD&R, Galaxy UK Opco Limited, as well as the other members of the Vialto Partners Global Network. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance on matters of interest only. Vialto is not responsible for any errors or omissions, or for the results obtained from use of this information. 